The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Our guest today, Janice Callahan, was a drug abuser who learned a powerful lesson from the NDE that resulted when a combination of drugs came close to killing her. So many kids are dying from overdose these days that her experience is one she wants to share with anyone stuck on the seemingly endless wheel of drug addiction, getting clean, and then falling back again. So Janice is here today for anyone willing to listen and learn the truth of what she experienced what she learned about the reality of God's love and forgiveness for those who ask. Janice, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you so much, Lee. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. Um, Janice, you had a fairly rough time growing up, and, and like countless other kids, you started experimenting with drugs as a teenager. Tell us a little about that part of your story. Yeah, so... Um really from a pretty early age, I kind of adopted this uh, mantra, I guess you could say, uh, no stone unturned, no wine untasted. And by the time I was 15, I was experimenting with a lot of different uh, street drugs. Um, Back then, um, it was a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, So I still went to high school every day, Um, ended up moving out of my parents' home when I was 15. Uh, worked full time, went to high school and partied all weekend long. Mm. Well, uh, you there's a large collection of, of people, I'm sure, and I hope they're listening, who uh, have been living that, uh, that part of a teenager's life. So uh, tell us a little about, um, did you have any religious training before, um, before you hit your teenage years? was um, allowed to go to Sunday school on a Sunday school bus. And I remember when I was either five or six, I went to a vacation Bible school and they were talking about Jesus. And I was immediately um, taken in with this story and um, wanted to experience him. And I, I remember going to the front and saying a salvation prayer. And then when I was around 11 or 12, I remember this fondness that I had for Jesus. And I remember telling a girlfriend, um, we were walking through, um, we lived in a trailer park and we were walking through the park from my home to hers. And I remember telling her, I'm going to, I'm going to marry Jesus. I'm going to be his wife. <laughs> and, and she laughed and she said, are you going to be a nun? And um, I had seen the movie, The Flying Nun. And so I said, well, I don't think that's what it is at all. I don't think I'm going to be doing that. No, no. Um, fast forward a few years and that that was kind of forgotten as soon as I started um, meeting boys. Understandably. Understandably. Well, it was, um, was your friend a Catholic? Because uh, they do the Catholic nuns do believe, at least they used to, that uh, they were brides to Jesus. No, I don't think she had a denomination. Yeah, yeah. And uh, were your, uh, how about the rest of your family? Did any of them want to go to church or go to church? 
my siblings would ride the Sunday school bus. We would sometimes go to um, also a church up the road. I remember, you know, I remember my mom going to church a handful of times um, with my stepdad. And I remember she would get really emotional Um, and it wasn't very often, but we didn't talk about faith or really anything of that nature in my home the entire time I was growing up. So you had been experimenting with drugs and um, you, you found one you particularly liked, but then did you try to get off it before, uh, before your NDE? Oh, yes. Um, so the first time I tried uh, methamphetamines, I remember going to this huge house, beautiful home, beautiful woman answers the door. She uh, worked with my, um, my boyfriend at the time and she invites us in and um, it was just a very glamorous setting when I was introduced to uh, methamphetamines for the first time. And I remember I was scared to do it. I was terrified. Um, but that didn't stop me, of course, um, because I had to, I think in my mind, my own mind, um, live up to that mantra. Um, and, and once I tried it, it was kind of like off to the races for me. I, I loved it. It felt so, I felt fulfilled and excited and, um, this particular drug is, is a stimulant. And so I felt creative and it was just, I thought, I thought it was, uh, like a fountain of youth, youth. And, and it was such a false, such a counterfeit fountain of youth, but, um, I took it to all my friends. We all began using together. And in that same, um, from even when I was in high school, that same partying on the weekends, kind of holding it together during the week, uh, continued into my early twenties. Um, I would get clean. I, I remember when I got pregnant with my daughter, I got clean, um, for that period of time and would stay clean for, you know, a few months. I stayed clean for a few months after she was born. Same thing with my son. And, um, I got clean in a program called Narcotics Anonymous for about four years. And, um, had a good network of people and worked the program, but I still was dealing with that urge on a consistent basis. It seemed to never go away. Um, it was almost like this really deep sense of, I needed excitement constantly to keep me interested in things. Mm. Um, so yeah. Even though it's one of the most debilitating drugs, I mean, it really kills your body. Uh, almost worse than anything else, except a, you know, an overdose of heroin, say, or fentanyl. Anyway, so tell us about, um, was it October 25th, 2018, that you had that, uh, uh, the dose that led to your near-death experience? It was October 5th, 2018. October 5th, that's right. Yeah, so. And so tell us, tell us what led up to, uh, to that and then what what's your reaction to the drug was um okay so i had went over to um the guy that i was seeing i went to his apartment and um this particular day uh at this particular time in my life i had like debilitating anxiety and depression what i would have called ptsd undiagnosed Um, I was not eating properly. I was very, very anemic. 
Um, according to the blood work I had done back then, I had pernicious anemia. So I'm, I'm eating ice constantly. I'm not really taking in a lot of food. Um, I've lost a lot of weight, but I'm still going to work every day. And from the outside looking in, it looked like I was functioning and, and doing really well. Um, family didn't really know I was using like I was. Um, so I go to his apartment. I was also seeing a, a woman at the time and we had been together earlier in the day. And so I go over to his apartment and I took a couple of hits of meth. We were smoking it. And he said, you need to calm down. You, you need to sit down. You don't need any more of that. You're, you're over amped already. You're, you're way too up there. And of course I disagreed. I uh, thought I knew what was best for me. Right. And he's, he's on the patio and he's smoking marijuana. And he was like, what you need to do is you need to take some of this and, you know, you need to smoke some of this and calm down a little bit. And I declined. I said, no, I don't want any of that. Well, he blew, he blew a hit in my face. And um, when that happened, um, I immediately like said, okay, just, just give me a hit. Maybe that'll work. So he kind of blew it into my mouth and it was like immediately, um, the best way to describe it is Lee, I felt this sensation of my throat closing up instantly. I began panicking. I, it was like an, like I was asphyxiating. Um, I'm terrified. He, he can tell something's wrong. Um, I'm actually at this point, um, I walk over to his, his kitchen sink. I try to take a drink of water thinking that would help, but that was the worst thing I think I could have done because the little bit of air I was able to get, like it cut that, that air off, but inside my body, it was, it was, it was almost like all of the cells in my body were screaming. I knew it it was this terrorized feeling of, I could tell that I was dying, that I was overdosing. And I think people who are in this situation that are using, they know this feeling that I'm describing. Um, this was different and beyond any prior type of experience there. There had been times where I was like, I did a little bit too much and I would pray, please let me see the morning. Please let me live. But this was totally different. This was a physical reaction beyond my control where I knew my body was, I was fighting for my life at that point. Yeah. Anaphylactic shock. It, your throat was closing. Um, for some people, bee stings can do the same thing. And uh, if you don't get oxygen, you don't live. So there, there you were. Um, were you? D- did you fall down? Did you sit down? My vision was growing dim very quickly. He helped me over to the couch right as my legs gave out. I remember him... Um, it was a recliner. He pulled the recliner up so that my feet were somewhat elevated because everybody, you know, obviously you want to elevate your feet. Mm. And, um, (laughs) but, but at this point, like, I know that, that I have really, really made a very, very terrible mistake. Um, I mean, it was happening so quickly. I, I can't tell you the length of time. This was maybe two, three minutes. And, and I remember, I remember trying to get the words out to him. I'm saying, pray for me, pray for me. 
Um, so I'm laying on his couch or I'm laying on his couch. My feet are elevated. I'm looking down at my body, but I'm literally feeling myself very quickly. It's like I'm leaving my body at the same time. I remember gripping his hand thinking if I could hold on to his hand, there's a chance. Like I could stay tethered to this realm and I am screaming in my mind, God, please help me. Please help me. Please help me. Please help me. Please. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I'm looking down at my body and I'm realizing that I cannot will my heart to beat. I can't will my lungs to breathe. I'm looking for a heartbeat. I remember looking downward and I'm feeling it's like a sensation of floating away into the corner of his room. But then also I am feeling my energy and my blood like drain out of my body down to my feet. I look down at my chest and I'm just thinking it, it was the, as though my body was dead, but my, my brain was still alive and aware. I think when we talked uh, before, you said it was like being half in and half out of your body at one yes. point. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's an almost OBE or out-of-body experience. I think it was uh, going to be out-of-body experience, but I died before I had the chance. <laughs> so, and, go ahead. I was going to say, so, but at some point you did leave your body. I did. I did. I remember closing my eyes, Lee, and knowing that this was it. This was done. Um, I have three children and um, in this moment, I was so desperate to live. I'm crying out, God, please save me. And, and when I close my eyes, I open my eyes and I'm in another, another place. And a beautiful place. It was like standing inside of a fiery opal. And it was so beautiful. It was, this color was alive and it was surrounding me. And there's no color like it on earth. The only thing I've ever found that's similar is black and opal that has a lot of fire when you turn it, you know? Yes. And it was, it was like there was a lavender tint to it. And so beautiful. And so the first thing I say is, thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. Hmm. Yeah. What brought that to mind? Oh, because I'm standing in front of this powerful entity, this, um, like, I'm standing in front of a spirit that I can, like, I can sense, but I can't see with my naked, like with my eyes. Yes. And it's radiating this powerful love directly into me, like the whole being was love. And, and I knew, and in my logical, like, I'm thinking, there's no way I could be standing here. This is too powerful. This is way too strong for me. Um, But yet I'm standing here and I see three, three beings over to my left. They're very tall, human-like, but yet I could see through them. They were translucent, okay? And one of them extends a hand 
feels like a male presence. And I felt like I kind of knew them. I felt like we were familiar to one another in a way. And when he extends his hands, I know that if I accept that, I'm, I'm not, there's no, I'm going to die and stay dead. I'm going to stay dead. That's weird to say. And so I slap his hand away and I'm like, no. And, and in this presence, I'm immediately bargaining and begging, please, please. And by the way, I'm not talking with lips and tongue and like, these are just thoughts that are coming to my head. Yes. Yes. They come to your mind and, and as quickly as they come to your mind, they're revealed to those around you. So, um, I'm thinking of my children. My oldest daughter was at the time she was 19 and I'm thinking about how I had had an opportunity to parent her. And now she's, um, going to be marrying the man that she loves. And I know that he's going to take care of her. And I felt that she would be okay. She knows me. She knows that I love her so much, even though our relationship had been deteriorating up until this point because of my own actions. And I'm thinking about my son. He's 16. He's living with his dad. I know that his dad will take care of him. But then my mind is focused on my four-year-old. And I know that she'll not remember me. She's not going to remember me. I'm going to be just a distant memory, you know, maybe that she would see in photographs. But I'm saying, it's like, please, please let me go back. Let me be a mom. I'll live differently. I will stop doing this. And I'm realizing how precious life is and how careless I had been. But yet how loved in this moment, I'm feeling this love that I've been looking for my entire life. And it's so powerful and enveloping. It's all around me and it is for me. And I know that I know that this is what I've been looking for in drugs. This is what I've been looking for in romantic relationships. This is what I've been looking for in all the things that I'm buying and all the the things that I'm doing. This love is what I had been wanting my whole life. So um, my personality was still similar, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'm still, you know, being dramatic and um, begging and pleading and, and, and his presence, which I know that this is the father. I know this is the father and he's calm. His presence is calm, compassionate, but not reactive to me in this, you know, little hissy fit I'm throwing. Okay. It's a hissy <laughs> fit. Um, and all of a sudden we're in a second place. We're in a second environment and it's outside. It's daylight. I'm standing up on a platform and I'm looking out at millions and millions and millions of people. And they're looking up at me. They're standing shoulder to shoulder. And um, it was like they had on um, scrubs, like what a doctor would wear, except they weren't white. They were like a, like a tan or or dusty color. And they're just looking up at me and I'm looking at them and I'm saying, well, I lean, I lean into his presence, the father's presence and feeling so 
much love still. I can't, I can't talk about that enough. Like this is not love. Like we know it here on earth. This is something that far transcends anything. It's, it's an, it's like a, an energy, a substance. Like it's just so divine. So I lean into him, Lee, and I'm, and I say, well, what do I do? (laughs) Because I don't think they could see him. They didn't know if he was there. And um, he he responds simply with love them. And so I say, okay, okay. And then I say, well, what do I, what do I, what do I say? And, and, and the response is the truth. So I kind of cringe at that. Okay. Like, mm, because this is, you know, not a story that at the time I felt like I would ever want to share. So, but anyway, he says the truth and I say, okay. And I say, well, what do I need to change? Okay. And that's just my personality. Like I'm still bargaining at this point. Can I leave some of these details out, you know? (laughs) And he says, it it, it was, the answer was like, you aren't going to change anything. So nothing. But I knew that I knew that everything was about to change. And then the last question we asked is I'm looking up all these people and, and I know that like there's hope um, for me to come back. And I say, okay, well, where am I going to learn everything? And he says, it's already inside of you. And so I'm in agreement. I'm in full agreement. I'm ecstatic at the idea of seeing the faces of my children again. And we go back to the first environment, back into that beautiful place again. And it was as though, like, I got swept up, like pulled into his presence and to his spirit. And that's when I remember looking at my hand and I'm now transparent. I can see through my hand and not only that, but I see all of these people inside him as well. In this very unexplainable way, but the only thing that I can describe it is, is like we were particles of him we were pieces of his body and all of us were there like more people than I've ever seen with my natural eye and that it was this revelation that that this love was for all of us and that well the things that that I had experienced in my life that I felt angry and I felt traumatized for there was such deeper purposes and that I couldn't possibly fathom the greater picture that I was seeing just a glimpse of this experience and not all of the outcome, not all of the purpose behind it, not all the reasoning behind it. And certainly I wasn't seeing how things played out in the lives of others until this moment. And it was like, I realized how self-seeking I had been how selfish and, and not in a way where I was feeling condemned, but in a way that my mind was just opening to that. I had never experienced this level of awareness. So 
Do you do you think the people, the millions of people that were contained within his body, um, were the s- souls of the dead, or did it include the, the dead and the living both? I saw everyone is alive and living. Everyone is alive and living. Okay, mm-hmm. nice. So that would be billions of people. Yes. Yeah. All yeah. with all within him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. And so, okay. At this point, the revelation, it was like, I began to understand how intimate he wanted to be with me and others. I didn't, I didn't have this understanding before. Okay. I was given this cookie cutter, like understanding, um, from Sunday school, but this was so far beyond what I could have even imagined. Um, and so it was, I remember thinking like when I was like going through these experiences, God, even though I exist and now I was being showed, not only did he know that I personally exist, but he also knew that everyone else exists and that I'm receiving this understanding of that I'm actually loved, that I'm actually, I actually matter. And then all of this is happening. Um, and then I'm so, I don't know how long I was there. I don't have an understanding. It seems like more information was shown to me and I'm still kind of like, realizing more and more on a daily basis, but then I'm suddenly back into my body. I remember gasping for air, like, and it was the <laughs> oh. biggest breath. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you before, before we go there, uh, yes. did, was there a life review of any type? Yes. It was me seeing specific events that I had experienced, but that I considered tragedy and, and what I would call like, like where I felt like a victim and I was being shown a bigger picture because I was, I I really did have a victim mentality for most of my life. Hmm. And I was being shown that it was greater than just that instance, just that occurrence in such a way that it was like, my heart was opened up to feel compassion towards the people who would have wronged me or hurt me. And did this take place within him when you were with the, with those millions or billions? Yeah. Yes. Did you feel that, um, a compassion coming from them toward you? No. Um, I really didn't feel that they even realized that they were in him. Ah, okay. And this is also where I began to understand how, interconnected we are with one another and things that I think and say and do truly affect others, even when it's a very minor thing that I might say or do. Mm. Um, yeah. So we are, uh, in a sense, we're all one if we're within the creator, but, but we all have, uh, almost like individual cells, we have an impact on one another. Yes. That is, that is important. It's telling that's um, 
perhaps our reason for being. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Yes. I I just remember. (laughs) Okay. The best way for me to describe this is I realized how little I actually knew how I was seeing this tiny portion of something that was infinite. And I was basing all of my life decisions off those little bitty details, you know, um, and holding on to grudges and holding on to pain and, and not allowing myself to move forward at this point in my life. I was definitely at this point in my life, uh, the drug use had, had just escalated and I was like outwardly looked like I had it together, but yet inwardly screaming and wanting someone to see and notice me and hear me and care that I was hurting, but I was just pushing people away left and right because of the drug use and the hiding and the lying and the deceit that's involved, which you don't even want to do. It was such an inner battle. It's just so much conflict on the inside. Right. Yeah. You didn't have an an individual experience of Jesus, did you? And yet you came back believing absolutely that Jesus is real. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So that was the first thing I had thought when I was in that environment, right? Was thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. So when I come back, I sl- I, I'm in my body, I gasp for air. And that's the first thing that I say is <laughs> Jesus is real. And, and the person I'm with, so he's pacing back and forth. Okay. He looks rather shocked when I begin screaming, Jesus is real. And um, I'm like, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. And um, saying all the stories are true. The answer to everything is love. It's about love. It's about love, I'm saying. And then um, I remember asking him um, to ask me some questions, um, make sure about my I have my faculties about me and, and he does, he asked me some questions um, about who I am and things like that. Um, Simple, you know, I guess what, what we thought would, you know, uh, mean I didn't have brain damage, but then this heat. So, okay. He's asking me these questions. And I remember this heat, like coming from within this heat is like a volcano erupting on the inside of my body. Okay. And it is so hot. And I begin to um, shake and tremble. And I remember my teeth were chattering and I was like holding my mouth thinking what's happening to me, what is going on. And, and I just remember it was scary. It was real scary because I, I remember thinking, Oh no, Oh no, this is, I didn't know what was happening. So I'm, I'm like fearful yet not afraid, like all of these different thoughts coming into my head, but ultimately it lasted for a while. And it was like, I was incinerated um, from the inside. And then um, I'm sweating profusely. And then this is where like, I start speaking in a language I've never heard a beautiful language that was not English. And at this point, he is literally like panicking, like, oh my God. I just remember the look on his face. He was white as a ghost. And I believed that I was talking about Jesus, but I could hear it with my ears that it wasn't English. Now, I had no idea what this was. 
Um, I found out later, okay, that speaking in tongues is a real thing. I never knew anyone who did that. Uh, I've never had another episode like that where I was burning from the inside out. I've never had anything else. Lee, the shirt I was wearing smelled like sulfur. Wow. I ended up throwing it away after like two years because I couldn't get the smell out. Not that I should would want to wear that blouse again, but I think I wanted to keep it. But it just smelled so bad that it smelt the whole closet up. Mm-hmm. So. Well. Perhaps that fire burning from the inside out was uh, burning out your addiction. I believe, I believe so. Um, going forward from that night, um, the eating disorder, the addiction, the anxiety, the depression, the um, what I would call obsessive compulsive disorder that at that time for me focused around drugs, sex, material items, and things like that. It was just gone. It was, it was gone. I didn't realize like the blessing that this was for, for weeks and weeks and months, even after, like I kept going, oh my gosh. Um, I had been scared of dogs, for example, since I had been seven years old, deathly afraid of dogs. And then um, a couple of months after this experience, I go over to someone's house and they have a St. Bernard and I immediately bend down and start petting this dog and getting in this dog. That's not something I would have ever done before. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Well, yeah. that's a, that's a, a side aspect of love. It's, the, yeah. you know, not just love for one another, but for everything. Yes. Yeah. You had said, uh, you'd enjoyed horror movies before this and Mm -hmm. not anymore. No, it was like, I suddenly understood from a spiritual perspective, the things that I said and did on any given day and how that truly affected my inner being. Um, Yeah. I don't watch anything like that anymore. And I haven't, and I don't even like to uh, hear it or, or be in the house of it's playing. So. Um, what did your family think of these dramatic changes in you? Okay. So that, (laughs) that didn't go, those conversations didn't go well. Um, if you can imagine, um, I think that most, okay, looking back on it, I think that most people would hear a story like this, especially if they had never heard of someone having a death experience. And no one in my family had ever heard of anyone having an experience like this. So when I went to my family members ecstatic to announce the news, okay, and I am going to, this is going to be a life-changing message. Everyone's going to be so happy. No, it just didn't go that way. Um, For a season, I was actually separated from all of my family, all of my friends, lost the job 30 days later, the boyfriend broke up. The girlfriend and I broke up. It was all like it all imploded. Why did you lose your job? What happened there? Well, okay. So I had been in sales for a long time and um, they walked in one day and, and, and it was like I, my, my, my motivation had changed in that I was no longer motivated to do certain things 
that I was asked to do at this company anymore. Um, it just was my level of integrity had changed. And if it wasn't honest and it wasn't on the up and up, I just didn't want to have any part of it. And so there had been conversations, um, but I just, yeah, I wasn't willing to operate and function from this same at that caliber that I was before the experience. Um, I didn't want to be tied up that way with anything that wasn't honest and and pure. And one day they walked in and they just said, we're sorry, it's just not going to work out. Wow. Yeah. Not dishonest enough anymore. I guess not. (laughs) Gee. Was this real estate by any chance? No, it wasn't. But you know what? I was the top salesperson when I got fired that day. Oh. So the work, the work was still coming in. Um, but I think just my presence in the office had changed so much where, you know, I, I was, I was on a different level of awareness and wanted to share it and was excited. And so that's called proselytizing at work. So, uh, yes. How about your friends that you'd shared drugs with? <laughs> Again, I wanted to share this message with everybody. So I did take that message to those homes and to those places. And then pretty soon nobody answered their phones. Um, So, (laughs) and and I was just on cloud nine, Lee. I was so elated that I could live without fear and I could function without the need of changing the way that I felt, you know, Um, I was no longer operating from extreme emotion i was operating from a, a, a greater place a different place at that point in my life and you said something else that i found interesting that you fell in love with the poetry of the bible i did okay so oh. i uh i wanted to know like i wanted to understand my experience lee and i wanted to understand it from a true perspective and it was tempting to come back and leave the Jesus stuff out. I'm just going to be really frank um, because that pushed, like it seemed like a lot of people didn't want to hear that part of my experience. They really wanted it to just be something that worked more, that worked better for them. But it was my experience and I wasn't going to change it. So I go and I find a Bible that's in a box. Uh, you know, because I, I did sometimes like when I would get sober, I would read maybe a book of the Bible here and there, but really never delved into it. And then after this experience, I go and I pull my Bible out and I start in the book of Revelation. And I began to see how when I flipped from Revelation to Genesis, There was a story and it was literally this story was going back and forth from book to book. And I began to understand and it became so poetic. It says that Jesus opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And that's what was happening. And this this book became so beautiful that because I had lost my friends, my family, my job, I didn't have that sense of identity anymore. And then I began to receive it from inside the pages of the Bible. No one had ever called me beloved. No one had ever told me um, that there was a, a, I could be peculiar and it was okay. And I began to find that in scripture. And it was, it was like I was being a remade woman. Yeah. yeah. 
did you try to find a church that had sympathies for a near-death experience? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to... Um, how did, how, how did that go? <laughs> not well, not well. I think partly my fault because I would walk in and be like, hey, I went to heaven and they didn't really know me. So, but I was also, I wanted to, I wanted to feel that love and that I wanted to feel, okay. I wanted to feel like they had too also read this Bible and were, were walking in spirit and love and truth. And that I wanted us to, like, I wanted to walk into a church and for us to be knit together in love, woven together in a tapestry of love. And that just, it just didn't happen. And so I really didn't fit in. Um, I went to so many churches, so many. Now, I um, have recently started going to a church where the people are so friendly. And um, when I'm sitting there and I always sit right in the front um, because my seven-year-old wants to be right in front. And so um, every day when I go or every time I go, which isn't every Sunday, it's just as I feel led to go, um, five or six or seven people come over and introduce themselves each time. So that's, that's new. That's. So that's really neat. That's really neat for me. So, but yeah, it was a lot of rejection. I was told things like, do not tell this story. I was point blank told, do not tell people this story. I was told things like, you're going to lead people straight to hell with this story. Oh, dear. Yeah. How crazy is that? Which was terrifying. That obviously wasn't my intention. And so, yeah. Part of the, me understanding the experience was to be able to match it to scripture and yeah. So were they, were they implying that your near-death experience was something demonic? Yes. And they thought that the devil could show this unqualified compassion and love that this was within his capacity to, to fool people with. I, I don't think so. They, they liked, so, so I heard things like this, um, dead people know nothing. I heard, um, that Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. I heard that, um, just, just things along those lines. And so as, as a woman whose heart's been opened and and it's my, my heart to see everyone filled with joy and love, like I am and peace to hear those things was, was confusing because it was completely in contradiction to what I was actually, you know, what I had experienced, what I was reading. And yeah, I mean, I had a best friend who actually was part of the the people saying those things. And so that relationship dissolved as well. And um, yeah. In all of your uh, encounters with people in these churches, did you run into anyone who had had a near-death experience? I have not. However, I did spend a season um, as a park host after I was released from my corporate responsibilities. Um, I wanted to be uh, in nature more. And so I was given a position as a volunteer park host at a beautiful state park in Texas. And almost every single week I met someone who had had a a near-death experience and it was incredible. I mean, it was so 
liberating to be able to talk about it. And it was like, we somehow, we just found each other when, you know, they'd be hiking and I'd be on the same trail and we would start a conversation and, and inevitably, you know, we, I guess something in us recognized something in the other and it would bubble up and we would talk about it. So it happened many, many times while I was out there. That's so interesting because uh, there are so many people in churches and I hate to, I shouldn't really generalize, but there's so many people in churches that would just as soon see this world end and go into their, go to their heavenly reward when uh, this earth is so magnificently beautiful as God created it. And uh, I, I think a lot of people who've had um, spiritually transformative experiences find themselves walking <laughs> through the beauty of nature and going to the national parks and um, photographing, you know, flowers and birds and to, because they're suddenly that love that uh, God has shown them is expanded to, to love his whole creation. Yes. Yes. What did your kids think of this? Initially, uh, it was quite alarming for them. Uh, as you can imagine, my 19-year-old and my 16-year-old weren't sure what to make of it. And so those relationships, too, they they dissolved for a season. And then I stepped back. I stepped away um, from my older two for a season, for a time. And, and if you can imagine, okay, when you come back Earthside, it's quite shocking and, and dare I even say like kind of dramatic just to be here. And yeah, that's, and, and all I wanted to do because my whole perspective, my whole brain had shifted. Whereas, you know, I didn't want to watch horror movies or um, do those same types of things, but uh, I also didn't like even want to hear like the music that I was listening to. I really just felt so much joy and I could, the best way, okay, I, I'll just tell you, like, they thought it, I was just crazy. Um, <laughs> and what I can tell you is um, it's just like beauty from ashes because those relationships are restored in such a beautiful way. I could have never done it on my own. And it was gradual and it was in his timing. And I knew that it was him and not me trying to force it. Um so now those relationships are precious and we treat each other with so much love and honor. Yeah. I know you've said you, you w would really like to help uh, uh, teenagers and uh, others of all ages, really, who are addicted to, uh, to drugs. And I'm wondering, since you're possibly finding a, a church now that, um, can deal with your NDE, would there be a possibility of your starting a program in, in the community through the church that would, uh, that, that you could uh, talk to addicts about your experience and uh, work with them to change their lives? That would be ideal. That would be, you know, that would be my heart's cry because the bondage was so many layers deep. And I think what happens is with a lot of programs, what I found in my own life is I had to leave my faith out in order to be 
and, and a lot of those other types of programs. And so I never could get down deep enough into the root of what was going on with me. Um, and that would be ideal. In fact, um, I went to a retreat a couple of weekends ago and I'm learning tools, you know, I'm enjoying every step of this journey, but learning tools. And it's just my, my hope that I'll have an opportunity to share those. I would, I would think, uh, you know, you're in a rural, pretty much a rural community. I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're not in the middle of a city or anything, but if you could get a number of churches together, who would be happy to hear you, um, start a program that would, you know, would, could be more than one church. I mean, you could have, you could have, uh, parishioners and congregants from all these different churches that needed to hear about, uh, how to overcome a drug addiction in Christian terms. Uh, they, they would, I would think they'd be willing if they, you know, perhaps they've got kids that, that desperately need something like that and they can't provide it but you could provide it because you've had this experience, this one-on-one experience with, uh, with God and with love. Yes. Yeah. I've got um, a lot of love that I want to share. And it's also, you know, with, um, so COVID happened shortly after my experience, um, you know, I guess about, I went, was it two years after my experience, maybe a year and eight months or something like that. And so then everything was shut down. So what happened was um, I began to have people who would come to me through social media and I would begin to pray for them. And, and I did see, I did see great, like, I mean, light, just the light coming on for people and having those conversations, but social media is somewhat limited. Um, I, would love to do something like that. I don't know exactly what it would look like. And I'll be honest, um, it was a process of walking out. Okay. Because I feel like this was such a deep change that there's that, that habitual part of a person who has been in that, in that lifestyle. And so it had to be like, um, gradually and gracefully like pulled out, brought to the surface and then pulled out. Um, but I mean, Lee, it's amazing what I've seen, what I've seen happen as a result of this. I've seen people who I share my testimony with and they just bring me their stuff to dispose of for them, Mm. you know, and, and it's such a freeing truth to know how valuable we are to the father. Yeah. Even after. Well, that's the thing that uh, if people would realize how much they're loved, I mean, that's, that's the element, as you said earlier. That's what we're all looking for. That's yeah. what you were looking for. You were looking for it through drugs. You were looking for it through material possessions. You were looking for it through sex and friends and all of those things. And it wasn't, it couldn't, those things couldn't begin to compare Mm-mm. to the, no. to the real thing. That's right. If you were uh, an addict listening to the story right now, what would, what would you, uh, tell them about saving themselves? How would you approach it? I would, I would say that even though the people that are around you might be turning their back on you, they may be incapable of giving you what you believe that you need. It's so important and vitally true and and important and precious that you know that you matter to the one whom all things were created through and for it tells us in scriptures that, that the, the hairs on your head are numbered. And that's so true. And 
I feel like no one can give us what we're looking for and nothing here on earth can give us what we're looking for because it doesn't exist. But yet we just have to have that faith and be willing to surrender to love, just surrender to love and and know that it's truth. Mm. Wow. That's great. Uh, If um, there are some um, empathetic souls out there who'd like to uh, get in touch with you, uh, would you want to give out your email or some other way to get in touch with you? Absolutely. Um, so I'm on Facebook, Janice Callahan, and you can also email me at love and sunflowers three at gmail.com. Love and sunflower sunflowers three, the number three. <laughs> <laughs> The, which is the first time I emailed you. I left the three out, of course. What <laughs> what, what what is the three for? Uh, father, spirit, and son. Uh, I Try thought it. maybe that was. Yeah. I thought maybe that was it. I won't yeah. forget that now. Yes. Love and sunflowers three at gmail dot com. Well, Janice, I, I we are just about out of time, but I really want to thank you for for doing this. I I hope people will get in touch with you if they if they uh, need your assistant, if they can um, come up with some other ideas for how you might um, use your near-death experience to help others. Uh, yes. That would be, that would be ter- terrific. And that's the reason we do these shows is to, is to um, bring people together to, to he- help heal the world. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having me, Lee. Oh, uh, it's, uh, keep me posted. If, uh, okay. If as as this uh, evolves in your life, yeah, keep me keep me posted. Uh, I'd be interested to find out how things I are, will. how Definitely. things are going in Texas. All right, Sounds <laughs> okay. good. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 400 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE Radio site and hit the Past Shows button or Go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>